<sighs> hey, have you ever watched a video and right in the beginning, they're in the middle of laughing for whatever reason? Yeah, it's always really weird, right? Like, what are you laughing about? I, I, I swear it's staged, just like this one. Guys, thanks so much for being here. This is session 261 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. My name is Pat Flynn. You are awesome. Let's roll. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he dreams about acting in a musical at least once a month. Pat Flynn. Now, as you know, I've been in the podcasting space for quite a long time now, and I've had a lot of success with the multiple shows and, and episodes and even the courses I've created. Part of my success is due to how particular I've been in the tools that I use. And one of my favorite tools is Buzzsprout. For those of you who are not familiar with Buzzsprout, you need to be, because if you have a podcast or you're looking to start one, Buzzsprout is by far the easiest way to start podcasting, and they're making it even easier. This is a podcast host, and it allows you to get listed on all the top directories, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, et cetera. I use it myself. They've provided advanced stats for us now so that you can track your podcast downloads and understand exactly what things are happening with your show, which is really key, right? Just there's not a lot of data that uh, a lot of tools give us access to, and Buzzsprout is some of the best. They'll even help you build a website for your podcast so your audience can easily find you online and listen to all the episodes right from your site too, if, even if you don't have a website. On the technical side, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Through the host, Buzzsprout, you can automatically optimize your audio through their newest feature, Magic Mastering. So Magic Mastering is like an Instagram filter, but for your audio, and it takes the audio you have and just automatically masters it to match the Apple Podcast authoring best practices. It's totally awesome. Just, I love them because not only is it just a super easy tool to use, but I know the team there, they are the sponsor of this episode, and I wanted to make sure you got to know who they are because they're, they're a great tool. And if you're just starting out with Buzzsprout, you can actually get a special deal. Their plans start at $12 a month. Buzzsprout is a wonderful partner of mine, and you know, you can actually get 33% more time on your plan, whichever plan you choose, just through this link alone. And that's smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. And that's a huge deal, 33% extra time on your plan just by going through that link. You can claim that again by going to smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. Check them out, they're awesome. Hey, thank you so much for joining me today in this session of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. I'm really excited, and actually this is a very, very important episode. This is with somebody who I hired to help me with SEO or search engine optimization, which is a very important skill, but also a very difficult one to master because it's always changing, right? The, the environment in Google and getting rankings and keywords and all that stuff, what's working, what's not working anymore, it's always changing. And I recently came across some issues with my own site. And so I hired this person, his name is Sam McRoberts from voodoomarketing.com, that's V-U-D-U marketing.com. And uh, he ran an SEO audit for me and I was really excited because the results that I got back, I mean, literally pages of information uh, we put to good use and we're actually starting to see results already, which is really cool. So I wanted to bring Sam on just to chat about SEO, uh, to talk about some of the things that I was working through, and also just give you a lot of information up front in terms of, okay, well, what should we be looking out for? What are some of the big mistakes that people are making who are building websites who wanna get ranked? And that's hopefully everybody uh, who, everybody listening to this, I hope you want higher rankings in Google because that's like the holy grail, right? We um, are getting free organic traffic from people who are very targeted and specific. And so if you can focus on SEO, which 
can get very complicated, but we've sort of uh, decomplicated it here for you or made it a lot easier to consume, hopefully. Um, but the interview went well, and I look forward to sharing it with you right now. So here we go. Sam McRoberts from VoodooMarketing.com. What's up, everybody? I'm so happy to welcome Sam McRoberts from VoodooMarketing.com. That's V-U-D-U-Marketing.com. Sam, welcome to the SPI Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Pat. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm very thankful that you're, you're taking time today because uh, we've actually spent a little bit of time together before this call uh, because I hired you to help me with an SEO audit. And I'm super thankful because the report that you gave me and my team was incredibly useful. And we are actually putting into action a lot of the suggestions that you had to help uh, increase the search engine rankings for the site and just make it more fine-tuned SEO-wise uh, so we can get more organic traffic. So first of all, I just want to say thank you for that. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Yeah. And so before we get into SEO and, and what people listening can do to help increase their search engine rankings and get more organic traffic, I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you got into this. What was what was Sam McRoberts doing before helping people with SEO and then kind of lead us into where you're at today? Yeah, it was a long, circuitous route. <laughs> um, I started helping my mom with an eBay business in the late 90s. So learned a little bit about writing good titles and descriptions and, you know, what passed for SEO at the time, which was really like stuff keywords on your website, mm -hmm. uh, get links from anywhere, any forum, um, started building websites around the same time. And then over time that led into working at a small web design slash SEO agency and into a bigger agency and then in-house and on from there. But just over the years, like I'd get more and more into SEO and I found that playing that game of chess with Google like, what is it they want to see? Where do I think they're going to be going? Why are they looking at this thing? Mm -hmm. How can I get ahead of it? Was really, really enjoyable and intriguing and just kind of spiraled down that rabbit hole. That's crazy. I, I couldn't imagine that because much like social media, things are changing all of the time. How do you stay on top of what's happening? Um, how, do, how do you know what's working or not? Yeah, so... I think you kind of, a lesson you can learn from negotiation, right, is you, if you want to have a good negotiation, understand the person on the other side of the table. Same thing goes with SEO. If you understand Google's core motivations, how they make money, how they plan to make more money in the future, uh, you can understand really what SEO boils down to. So like for any given query, right, someone's going to a search engine, they're typing in something, they're asking a question, and Google's in the business of giving them the best possible answer. So if you understand how Google decides what that best possible answer is, the rest is, I won't say easy, but easier. Right, right. So this may be a loaded follow-up question, uh, and I think you know it's coming, but how do we know what Google wants to see? Sure. So you can, the easiest way, right? So let's say you want to rank for passive income. Go to Google and see what's showing up there. And by looking at the sites that are ranking on the top page, you have a really good idea of what type of content and what type of sites that Google thinks are relevant for that. And then you can start using different tools to dig into the underlying metrics behind those businesses. And then alongside that, you know, Google is at least partially transparent about the types of things they look at. Mm -hmm. uh, they change a lot over time. They don't say everything, but they say enough to kind of nudge you in the right direction. And then there's tons of people in the SEO industry who are constantly running tests and tossing out useful information as they find it. That's cool. So you sort of have an insider view along with your other SEO sort of colleagues in terms of, you know, experiments that are running, things that are working, things that aren't. 
Exactly. And, you know, cool. depending on the type of sites you're working on and the scale, right, if you have access to a multi-billion page site, you get to run experiments that very few people get to run and see when things really work and just how well, even if Google says it shouldn't work, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. So let's let's take, I, I want to walk people through the process that you did to help audit my site. So I knew that I had some uh, improvements that could be made. You know, we made a lot of improvements in 2016 related to the design and the workflow and the sort of navigation through the site and whatnot. But there was one thing that sort of stayed the same, if not kind of went down as a result of that. And that was the search engine rankings and also the the organic traffic. That, one, that was obviously the opposite direction we wanted to go. So that's why my team and I discussed this and we wanted to hire somebody. And I got a great recommendation from uh, Neil Patel for Sam McRoberts and uh, Voodoo Marketing here. So I'm very happy to have been working with him and Obviously, like I said earlier, the reports were fantastic. So we're putting things into place. But I, I would love to know, what are the things that you do? What's that checklist you go through when, you know, for example, I hired you? Like, what, what were the things that you were looking at? And um, perhaps even along with that, what were some of the suggestions that you made? So that I think people, if they hear this on the other end, they might be able to kind of follow along and perhaps do a high-level uh, sort of similar audit on their own. Sure. So my first pass is to do a crawl of the site. So I use a tool called Screaming Frog. Um, there are a bunch of different tools that can do this. Like you could do a basic crawl using something like Xenu, X-E-N-U, uh, or a more advanced and expensive crawl with something like Deep Crawl. But Screaming Frog is my favorite. It's relatively inexpensive. It's like $150 for a one-year license. But you can punch in a, a URL and it goes through, uses a little piece of software, much like Google does, to comb through the whole site. Mm-hmm. Follows everything link to link, extracts data about the site, and then pulls it into a tool that lets you basically slice down the site the same way that Google would. Right? How many pages are on the site? Does it have good title tags? What do the URLs look like? How do things connect together? Are pages loading quickly? Um, and it helps you to you know, find those gaps. So that's my first pass. Uh, from there, it's using a ton of other tools to slice down into. There are three main areas, really, that that impact where you rank, how well you do in terms of SEO. Mm-hmm. And those are on-page keyword-centric factors, so whether a keyword is used in your title tag or whether your content is well-written and keyword-focused. Uh, you have technical SEO elements, so anything related to the code on your site and your server, how fast your your pages are loading, Um, if there are any sort of errors that Google might hit as it goes through your site, like broken links. And then the last piece of the puzzle is linking in social signals. So are people sharing your site? Are they talking about you on social media? Are they linking to you? Uh, Are you getting links from high-profile sites, authoritative sites, uh, sites that are topically relevant for you, right, in the Mm -hmm. same industry? And those are the, the three main buckets of SEO. And so I have a lot of different tools and processes that dig deep into each of those three buckets. Right, and I'm not going to ask you to go through each of those in terms of what tools you use. And I'm not expecting everybody to get uh, who's listening to this to, to go out and start buying a bunch of tools because I don't think that's something people need to do at least right away. Um, but what I do want to understand is what are some of the most common mistakes that you're finding? So, you know, you have a bunch of clients and I know there's a lot of websites that you keep track of as well. Um, what what are some big common mistakes that people are making that I that I that would really sort of make an impact on on their SEO? Sure, one of the most common that I stumble across, and one of the easiest to fix if you have somebody technical available, is page load speed, and alongside it, mobile usability. Mm. So Google is putting a lot more emphasis into mobile, 
And a huge factor in terms of mobile usability is just how fast a page is loading. Um, there's been tons of studies over the years on the impact of improving page load speed and its effect on conversions and bounce rates. But it seems like Google's taking that really seriously. So if your page is loading in your site or any specific page on the site is loading in more than, say, two to three seconds at this point, it's slow. And Google's almost certainly demoting you like actively for other sites that load faster. Um, so that's one typically easy piece of low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. And fixing it can be as simple as installing the right WordPress, WordPress plugin and getting it configured. Are there any WordPress plugins that you'd recommend? I, I would be hesitant to say, hey, guys, go and download this plugin because it, it, it's obviously dependent on a number of other things, especially with WordPress. It's the w- what version do you have and then obviously what themes are on it and plus what other plugins are on there kind of messing with everything. A lot of times I've found... Um, it could just be one or two plugins that kind of ruin the whole thing because it just slows down everything depending on how it loads versus everything else. And so, um, you know, I guess what what would be the best way to, I guess you had mentioned just work with a developer or somebody on your team, hopefully, who who knows how to do that. If somebody doesn't know how to do that, though, what would you suggest they do? So the first pass is to, you know, figure out what your page load speed actually is. And there are a lot of different ways to do it, but they each have different pros and cons. Mm -hmm. So I would say your first pass would be to look in your own Google Analytics data, if you have it. And under the behavior section, there's a page speed timing tab. And it'll show you on average how long it's taken for your pages to load. So if you plug in there and it's slow, you know you have some sort of issue, but not necessarily what. Uh, If you're using WordPress, one of the most common plugins is probably W3 Total Cache. It's relatively easy to set up. There are a lot of guides out there, and it will it will at least get you a good chunk of the way there for some of the more basic issues. Um, there are a couple others like WPMU Dev. They have a plugin called Hummingbird and another one called WP Smush that also helps speed things up. Mm-hmm. But usually, usually it boils down to images. Like, are you loading a lot of really large images and a lot of images per page? Uh, and are you pulling in a lot of JavaScript files? So if you have like 10 different analytics software and tracking things on your site, it's absolutely slowing you down. There's no way to avoid it when you're doing lots and lots of external calls like that. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing you mentioned, mobile. I know I know that there was recently um, an announcement or, or, or some sort of new algorithm change related to mobile. I think um, if you could explain what that was a little bit more in detail, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, it just basically means that Hey, if your site isn't mobile responsive, you you're getting deranked or uh, not deranked, but you're just losing SEO value. Yeah, so there's been a few over the last, I'd say, two years. Google's had at least three separate updates where they've dialed up the importance of mobile speed and usability. Mm-hmm. But I believe the most recent, and I think it hit recently or it's coming out shortly, is a penalization for sites that do takeover pop-ups on mobile. So if you have a full page uh, pop up that covers up all of your content before somebody can get to that, Google is supposedly actively penalizing that. Although I've heard, you know, hit and miss reports on whether that's happening or not. I see. Okay, cool. Um, so page load time important, obviously mobile responsiveness and most themes that maybe not most, but more the uh, more current themes that you can get access to, for example, on WordPress through sites like Studio Press and whatnot, and even, you know, lead pages and tools like that, they're usually coming with versions that all have mobile responsiveness or, or mobile versions of them, which is great. 
Um, in terms of tools, though, I, I, I do want to talk about tools. You'd mentioned one already, which I think um, most people have or, or have access to, uh, and that is Google Analytics. That's going to give you some good insights on kind of how things are running on your website and where traffic's coming from and whatnot. Um, but I also know that uh, if I were to try and check to see what keywords I'm ranking for and some inform- information about that and sort of click-through rates for those uh, keywords, you know, Google Analytics isn't actually the, the right tool for that. There's another tool that's still free to use, and that's that's Google Console, which used to be called Google Webmaster Tools. Is this a tool that you would say is sort of uh, a prerequisite for having a website, you know, or, or mandatory uh, Google Console, that is? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Google Search Console, getting that set up, it provides you with a lot of technical data and not just the keywords and click-through rate, but it'll tell you if Google's running into crawl errors on your site. Uh, It'll give you some insight into typical page load speed and how much bandwidth Google is willing to spend on your site over a given period. Mm -hmm. Um, There's data in there on whether or not Google's seen any sort of spammy signals coming into your site, if they think you've been hit with malware. Uh, there's a ton. Uh, they have data in there on who's linking to you, which domains, which pages. So I'd say it's an excellent resource. Um, depending on the site, a lot of people don't configure it correctly. So if you have multiple subdomains on your site, so www.smartpassiveincome or courses.smartpassiveincome, each of those has to be claimed separately inside mm-hmm. of Search Console. And then there's a difference also between HTTP or HTTPS. And so if you have different versions, you also have to claim those. And you'll see different slices of data under each different piece. Got it, yeah. And so if I'm in Google Search Console, I mean, there's a lot here. It's very overwhelming, I think, especially for those who are just starting out. Where would I go to get the best information? After, obviously, I set it up and I give it time to sort of collect this data. Um, where would you suggest one go in here and what can... What, what kinds of things can they pull out from this? I mean, I, I think the most useful thing for me would be search analytics. And so I can go in, for example, uh, and uh, enable a position for a lot of the keywords. And I can see, you know, I'm getting a lot of clicks for my name and the title of my website. But then there's one here, uh, affiliate marketing. And that's a great term. But I also see that even though I'm getting 2,400 clicks per month, I'm at a position of 7.7, which you know, is quite far down the results page. But that gives me a huge indicator of, wow, if I can improve the, the position of this particular keyword, um, then, then I, can, I, get, I can get way more clicks because this one is getting more clicks than many other of this sort of non-branded uh, keywords. So that, that's how I use this tool or one way that I use this tool. Um, are there any other things that people can do to, you know, gain some good insight on sort of what actions to take next from here beyond the obvious like, oh, here's a warning or a crawl error? Yeah, actually, so that's a really good use, going in there and looking for those deltas, so the difference between how many people are searching and how many people are clicking. Mm -hmm. So if you find something where you're barely on page two and it's getting a ton of impressions but not a lot of clicks, that would absolutely be a spot to dig into. Um, Inside the search analytics report, you can also dig into pages, which is also really useful. So you can see, oh, hey, look, it looks like five or ten of my pages are driving 90% of my traffic. Like, what can I do to focus on just those five or 10 pages? Could I link to them better internally? Could I get more links from them for those pages externally? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a really good place to start. And again, some low-hanging fruit. Just inside this one report, though, you can slice down pretty deep. You can get device data. You can get country data. uh, You can see web search versus image search versus video search. And I mean, I think you could spend a tremendous amount of time in that one report I would say the next most important one to dig into is crawl errors. 
Mm-hmm. So crawl uh, errors, you said, right? Yep. yep. Left-hand side, there's a crawl menu, and right under that, crawl errors. Got it. So th- this will tell you there are different types of errors. So like a server error is, you know, the server didn't load. A page wouldn't even come up. Um, there's soft 404s. So like the page shows up, but the actual content on the page is the same thing you'd see on an actual broken page. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then not found is probably the most common bucket of errors. And basically, from somewhere, Google arrived at a page on your site that doesn't actually exist. Um, and in this case, for not found errors, a lot of times people will mislink to you externally, mention your site, get a spelling, you know, get one letter wrong mm-hmm. in the link they used. And so there, there are potentially hundreds or even thousands of links pointing at your site to dead pages. So going through here and setting up redirects for those broken pages can sometimes be a really big win. Got it. Okay, that's great. That That's super handy. Thank you for that. Um, so you, you talked about three sort of different categories that you look at on, on one of the first passes. So on-page keyword-related things, for example, having keywords in, in the title tag uh, and also having it be focused within the, the content itself. Um, obviously creating great, valuable content, quality content there too. Um, then code and server sla- uh, related things, you know, so we talked about this already, you know, mobile, uh, page load speed and whatnot and errors, as you just mentioned, you just shared a great way to find them uh, using Google search console and then linking in social. This is another one I want to, I want to talk about, especially social, you know, how does Google, um, or, or kind of what, what, what's our goal here for these posts related to social? Like, is it really that much of a factor to have people tweet our posts and f- share them on Facebook or like, and, and, and then how, you know, obviously there are ways to encourage that, but does this mean we have to display that number on our particular page? Or I'm trying to understand more about kind of what exactly Google's looking for here related to social. Yeah. So this is one of the, probably one of the most hotly debated subsets in SEO is does social play a role? And if so, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it's just correlation or causation. So Google has unequal amounts of data across different platforms, right? They're able to get, say, maybe more data from Twitter than they are from Facebook. Uh, they have some data from their own platform, Google+, which I don't think anyone actually uses. And then there's you know other social data sources popping up all the time. So Google has an unequal amount of information across the different platforms. But I think in as much as they're able to get it, they would be looking for engagement-related signals and inf- influencer-related signals, right? Hey, this person, like, I know who this entity is, right? They have this site. It links to it from their Twitter bio. I know that they're consistently talking about this subject. They have a million followers. If they mention something, that should probably have some weight um, versus random person in random country with no followers mentions something. Maybe that shouldn't have any weight. So I think they're probably using some version of page rank, you know, just understanding who's an influencer, who's authoritative, who isn't, and then who's mentioning what and trying to tie that together to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but how much of a ranking factor, it's hard to say. I think a lot of it also comes from the fact that if you get a lot of social play, you're also likely to get a lot of mentions in blogs, links, that sort of thing. Uh, okay, so it's like a long tail kind of effect of the social aspect. Exactly. And then, of course, Google's looking at other signals. Like if somebody does a search, what they click through in the search results tells Google a lot. So if somebody has seen you on social or follows you on social and then does a search and sees you there and clicks, it's another signal. So they actually pay attention to the words that are people that people are typing in versus where they're landing. You know, that that didn't used to be as important sort of relevance. I know that that's been 
sort of a thing that's uh, over the, at least over the past number of years has become more important. So even even in terms of the sites that are linking to you, either you're going to get more benefit from a site that's related to your site versus sort of a random one. And I think that's smart. I think that makes complete sense. Um, and I remember back in the day, I used to kind of do my sort of effort to game Google and just sort of pick up and buy other sites that were random and then link them to my websites and stuff. And, you know, that worked for a while, but obviously Google's making changes to, to, to stop that. Yeah. And I mean, in some cases that can still work, but only where that sort of acquisition and redirect like serves the user. So if you buy a site that's really closely related to you and you redirect the content to content on your site that is really closely related to that original content, from Google's perspective, you just did their searchers a favor. You help them to find something useful that's a close match to what they were looking for. Hmm. But if you, you know, if you'd focus on podcasts and business and you buy an old Viagra site and redirect that, you're just asking for trouble. (laughs) Are there any other tools that are helpful for somebody who's, you know, at the beginning phases or maybe they've had their business for a while, but they just haven't really taken SEO seriously? Um, Are there any even free tools that one could use to sort of dive into the to what's going on even more? Yeah, so you can get a fair amount of data for free out of a tool like SEMrush. Um, you can get data on who's advertising around keywords, how many keywords a specific site ranks for. And there's a lot of that data that you can you can at least see the top-level data for free. Uh, if you want more detailed data, they make you pay. But if you're just trying to look at a few different competitors or your own site and get some insight into what you're ranking for or not, that's a good first pass. Uh, you can also get some good data for free out of Moz. So they've got a tool called Open Site Explorer that will show you how many people are linking to your site, um, what they consider like the trust and authority level of your site is. Nice. Yeah, there are there are a bunch for like keyword research. There's a site called Answer the Public, um, and that looks at basically you you pump in a keyword and it gives you all the questions that people are asking that surround that keyword based on just search query data. So you type in business. And it may pull up something like, how do I start a business? Which businesses are the best to start? Uh, where do I learn about starting a business? Like all of these questions that people might ask. And that Whoa. can help you. Yeah, I'm on there now. Help. This is awesome. <laughs> I've never heard of this. And it can help you to write amazing content. Because the content that answers the most number of closely related questions often wins. Especially if you have a good foundation of links and authority. So like for you, right? Your site is very authoritative. If you were to pick something that's closely related to what you typically cover, use that tool and find a list of questions that are all tightly related and then write an epic piece of content that answers all of those questions, boom. I would expect to see you at the top of the first page quickly for all of those questions. Wow, this is really cool. First of all, the homepage is a little scary because there's like a dude on there who's kind of looking around randomly. Anyway, uh, then I typed in passive income and I get the who, what, where, why, are, how, you know, kind of questions, and they're just all listed here for me. Um, and if I'm not addressing these things that are relevant, some of them are not relevant uh, to the kind of passive income that I talk about specifically, but there are many here that are. Um, and I think it would be obvious, like, if I want to serve an audience who's looking at these questions and trying to find answers, like, you know, I should be creating content about this stuff. Totally. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for that tip. So that is a uh, answerthepublic.com. It actually defaults in UK, at least what it did for me. And then you could switch it to US or wherever you're at. Um, so that that's sweet. Answerthepublic.com. Thanks for that tip. Another question to ask you, this is related to some posts that I've been coming out with lately. Uh, those of you listening, you might not realize this, but um, 
one every other month, I republish a post from my deep archive, meaning from you know 2008 to 2010. There's some great content that's been written in the past that just is very difficult to surface, and so we decided we decided to uh, sort of republish these things and update them, of course. But then what that does is it does a couple things. Um, you know, it obviously updates that content so it's more up to date, but it also adds a new sort of publishing date for search engines to see. So I'm curious. I'd love to hear from you if that actually is helpful for not only resurfacing those posts for my users, but also for, for Google. I've seen some people say that sometimes all you'd have to do is just switch the date that an article was posted, and then it would immediately sort of have a lot more value to SEO uh, in Google because Google wants to show sort of the latest, most relevant thing. Is that true? Yeah, so it can work. Whether just changing the date is enough to have an impact is hit and miss. Mm -hmm. There's a portion of Google's algorithm called uh, QDF, so query deserves freshness. And depending on the query, Google decides, hey, is somebody who's searching, who's searching for this phrase typically looking for brand new content or do they most often go to and click on older content? Mm. And if it's a slice where people consistently are looking for really fresh information, right? Like if you go search Donald Trump, you're going to want whatever the latest news is. And Google knows that. And so they change the the ranking stack to reflect that. So if your content is about something that is, you know, it changes often and people are looking for fresh content, then yeah, just changing the date could potentially give you a boost. But you're likely to see a much better boost by updating it and enriching the content with newer information. Yeah, and speaking of that, that's the thing I've been noticing a lot of people doing. I think Moz talked about this as well. And that is sort of doing your own content audit. I mean, we're talking about SEO auditing here a little bit, but in terms of a content audit, um, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I had a guy come on, his name's Todd Tresseter in episode 200, and he came on to talk about how he actually deleted and redirected a third of his content from, the, from his past to newer stuff that he had and was able to triple his traffic. And, and that's because his site became more tight, became more relevant. There was a lot of stuff in the past that he wrote about that just wasn't relevant anymore. And he kind of removed that or, you know, redirected it or, or updated those older posts. Is that a practice that's, um, you know, a good thing to do? And if so, how often would you recommend somebody uh, doing that? And do you have any specific tips related to that? Absolutely. I think that's really valuable, um, especially over time. Like sites kind of can grow out of control, go from 10 pages to 100 to 1,000 to 10,000. And you have all of this content and Google's trying to understand, you know, what on your site is most relevant. And so if you know that you have a smaller number of pages that are your most important pages, there's no sense in wasting a lot of internal links and authority on some of that other stuff. Mm -hmm. So doing a content audit and deciding, should I keep this as is? Should I combine it with something else? Should I just delete it? Is it, you know, not worth keeping around? Or should I enhance it? Should I, could I take this piece of content and make it richer? I think that process is really, really valuable. I mean, you could double, triple, quadruple your traffic just by cleaning out some of the mess. Um, I'd say, recommend, I'd recommend doing that. If you're a bigger site, I'd do it twice a year. Mm. A small site, maybe once a year or once every two years. But, you you know, using something like Google Analytics, Google Search Console, you can see which which of your content is performing best and then which isn't. And mm -hmm. if you have content that performs well and content that doesn't perform well, that's you know similar, like very similar in topic, redirect the content that's not performing well to the content that is. Are there any, okay, first of all, that's, that's fantastic, sort of confirms and validates what, what I was uh, taught and, and what we're doing. Um, in terms of redirecting, I think that's, that word scares a lot of people. They don't know how to do that. What's, what's the easy layman's term way on 
well, doing what you just said, how, how would one actually go about doing that? Or is that something you'd recommend actually having somebody come on board to do for you? So reader, redirects are pretty simple. Again, if you're in WordPress, which what, like 20 or 25% of all sites are, uh, there's a post called Quick Page Post Redirect. Sorry, a plugin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and literally, you copy and paste a URL into two fields. I want this URL in this field to go to this URL in this field and hit enter and you're done. So moving one page to another is super simple inside of WordPress. Oh, that's sweet. I didn't know about it. What was that plugin called again? Quick Page Post Redirect. Quick Page. Okay, got it. Page Post and then, Redirect. Got it. Yeah, depending on your platform, though. So if you're not on WordPress, if you're on something more complex, like let's say you have a site built on .NET, uh, it's much more complicated, and you're going to want to pull in somebody technical to do it because it yeah, requires coding and regex and other unpleasant stuff like HTA but, access and all that stuff. Yeah, so 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 dot net doesn't even run an HT access file. You have to go in and set up uh, like an isopy rewrite filter. All right, I don't know what language you're speaking, but I yeah, don't think ex- <laughs> exa- exactly, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. Way in over my head, but okay, if uh, so WordPress, yeah, most of my listeners are on WordPress. Um, many of them are not. Um, and definitely if you are unsure about something and it's not sort of push button easy, I would always recommend getting somebody else who knows what they're doing involved because you know, sometimes it's just one punctuation that can really screw things up, uh, unfortunately, in this world. Yeah. Um, so cool, that that's that's super helpful. Now, going back to the audit that you performed for me, um, I would love for you to share with everybody what were some of my biggest mistakes? What were some of the big things that you uh, shared with myself and my team that we could do to improve uh, the ranking on the site? If you totally. remember. Yeah, so one of the things that stood out was page load speed, ah. right? So. Looking at the site, you know, if you don't mind me sharing specifics, do it. Do it. This okay. is we're all about being authentic here, so so ha- have at it. All right. So looking in your Google Analytics data, your average total page load time was almost 13 seconds. So even though the page visually it's loading fairly fast for a user, there are things on the back end that were causing it to really drag out. And so you know, looking at various different tools, right? Like some of them showed your page load speed as pretty fast. But when your own analytics data is telling you that it's slow, it's almost certainly slow. And then it's just digging to the bottom of what is causing the slowness. Mm. Um, So that was one that stood out. Another for you was crawlers. So you didn't have a huge number, but they'd been ramping up over time. Mm -hmm. And when Google hits a crawl error on a site, basically they're saying, oh, whoops, this page isn't here. So I'm going to leave the site and come back later. And if you have a lot of those, Google thinks, well, wow, this site has a, a lot of errors. Maybe it's not such a user-friendly place. And so making sure that oh, that's Google not doesn't... Good. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? It's a friendly it's... place. Come on, stick around. And so that was another one. You didn't have, you didn't have too many like, as a percentage of your overall site. Sure. Uh, but enough that Google would be like, all right, like I'm, hitting, I'm hitting a fair number of errors here. Maybe this isn't so good. Ah, okay, okay. Anything else? Those were a couple that stood out. Um, let's see. I'm scrolling through the audit right now looking at stuff. Uh, URL redirects. So you had a handful of temporary redirects that mm-hmm. needed to be fixed. Um, there were quite a few 301 redirects that were found by crawling your site. So whenever you change a URL, ideally, if you can, you should go back through and update the internal links on your site to point to the final location. Because the more hops Google has to go through, if Google crawls through your site, lands on a page and says, oh, I'm going to follow this link. And it's like, oh, well, that link just went through a redirect. Ooh, and it went through another redirect. Ooh, and it just went through a third redirect, right? Mm -hmm. The more redirects Google hops through, they shave off a little bit of value at each hop. And so making sure that you update your internal linking can also help you to preserve a lot of that internal link value. Nice. Yeah, you know, 
and I'm not making excuses here. This is just what happens when you've been blogging for eight years and you kind of just are taking it as you go. It becomes this Frankenstein thing. And, you know, we're at a point now where eight years later, we're starting to get really serious about, you know, the little details here. And well, the page load time is not a little detail, but you know, these kinds of things are really important. So I, I would encourage everybody to, no matter what level you're at, uh, hopefully sooner than later, you know, d do similar things, whether you, you know, hire somebody like Sam for uh, an SEO audit, uh, or you kind of check on these things yourself or have somebody come on and maybe you do something for, for them to help have them help do something for you, you know, pro bono, uh, whatever it is. Like, I think, you know, your website is where people come and, you know, where conversions happen and where sales happen, you know, you want to make sure things are working and things are good and you're optimized. So, you know, I would encourage everybody to get uh, started sooner than later on this. And, um, obviously you can check out Sam at voodoo marketing.com, V U D U marketing.com. Um, really great experience working with him. Uh, and, um, yeah. So anything else stand out, Sam, um, any other, uh, common mistakes that people make or advice that you have for, for people who are kind of just winging it and, and trying to now get serious about, you know, their SEO and trying to rank for things. Yeah. I would say one other thing that can be very impactful and that doesn't usually get considered is how you set up your site architecture. It's like what you choose to put in your nav or in your footer, how you're connecting pages across your site. That determines how like links and value flow through your site. And I like to use a, a farming analogy, right? If you have a big plot of land and lots of crops, it's really important to make sure that the water is getting to all the right places so you don't have dead spots. But it's also really good to make sure you're not accidentally wasting water on an unused field or running down some random ditch. And so making sure that you've laid out all of those rows and connected things together in an efficient way can help the site to rank a lot better. And so where people tend to get into trouble here, if you look at a lot of different sites online, you see pretty consistent bad behavior in internal linking. You'll see an, a top navigation with dozens or sometimes hundreds of links, right? You click on it and there's a drop down and there's 50 other choices. Mm -hmm. And you'll see a footer with dozens and dozens of links, a lot of them going to, you know, pages that just aren't super important. And that's the equivalent of just spraying your irrigation water everywhere. Uh, and if you tighten it up and are very selective about what you include in your navigation and which pages you connect to other pages, it can have a tremendous impact on the overall ability for the site and those key pages to rank well. Nice. That sounds great. And so how can one determine whether or not a page is important for them to, to have water going to versus not? For a lot of people, it's a gut check. I mean, you know which content you've put the most time and effort into mm -hmm. and that answers questions the best. But you can also use data. So if you have an existing site, a number of pages, look inside Google Analytics or Google Search Console and pick, say, the 5 to 15 most important pages, the pages that get the most traffic or the most impressions. And then go through your site and make sure that those are the pages that are in the main navigation. Those are the pages that you're cross-linking to on a regular basis. And then at the same time, if there's anything that's not in that list that you look at it and think, wow, would I really want somebody to land on that page from a search? Mm -hmm. If the answer is no, don't link to it. Nice. You make it sound so simple, Sam. But, um, you know, I think one step at a time is, is another important aspect to this. So pick up some of those tools, you know, research, uh, get in there, definitely get involved with Google Search Console. Um, it's, it's definitely something worth uh, getting into. And um, yeah, so... Just stay mindful and and keep going. So, uh, Sam, thank you so much for coming on today and, and sharing your wisdom with us and also being 
honest about the approach for it for SEO. You know, obviously there's you know thousands of people talking about SEO, and everybody has a different way of, of going about it. It's obvious that you know you're in it for the for the end user and to to please Google too. So uh, I want to thank you again for your time. Absolutely, it's been my pleasure. So beyond uh, Voodoo Marketing, vudumarketing.com, is there anywhere else people can find you, perhaps connect with you on, say, Twitter? Yeah, Twitter, uh, Sam's underscore antics. Nice. Picked that back when Twitter launched and have never bothered to change it. <laughs> you don't have to You don't have to justify it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I respond pretty quick on Twitter. Uh, you can ping me through my website. I also have another site, screwthezoo.com. Like I, I wrote a book on a whim a couple of years back. Um, I don't blog there too often anymore, but again, if you ping me there, I'll answer. Awesome. Sam, thank you so much. We appreciate you and uh, all the best. Thanks, Pat. Cheers. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sam. I know you listen to the show every once in a while. I appreciate you coming in and sharing your advice with everybody. And uh, yes, SEO changes all the time, but a lot of the things that Sam mentioned are gonna be very foundational. I mean, that's where Google is going, right? They wanna provide the best results for people. And a lot of these things that used to be done to optimize search engine optimization are just not, you don't wanna do them anymore because they are not where things are headed, which is value, quality, uniqueness, relevancy, those kinds of things. So if you wanna check out Sam and see what else he's up to and even check out his services, you can go to voodoomarketing.com. That's V-U-D-U marketing.com. You can also check out the links and everything else mentioned here in this episode in the show notes at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 261. Now, really quick before you go, I wanna mention and thank today's sponsor, which is Edgar. Edgar is a social media scheduling tool that I use to automate and build a library of messages that I can send out to my audience that get seen much more. And that's what social media is all about, right? I mean, being social, and how can you be social if you're not being found anymore? I mean, social media reach is definitely plummeting, and Edgar is a tool that was built specifically to address this issue, and they're just amazing. Laura, the CEO and founder, she and I are good friends, and I'm happy to feature here, uh, or her and her product here on the show. And what's really cool is she's offering an amazing deal just for SPI listeners. So you can get a two-week free trial of Edgar. I continue to use it myself, both on Twitter and Facebook. You can also connect a number of other social media accounts to it too. You can connect to your Facebook groups to start conversations like and have it all be automated. Um, it, it's awesome. And yes, there are concerns related to automation of social media, but this is an amazing tool because it doesn't make it feel like you're not there anymore. It allows you to start those conversations. It allows you to get more traffic to your website without actually just having it be like a plugin that you you put in that puts up every single blog post that you come out with. No, you're actually writing unique stuff, but a lot of times those things you send out don't get seen as much as they should be. So this tool helps you address that problem. And so Laura and the team at meetedgar.com slash SPI are offering a two-week free trial. And that's no credit card required. Like you, you don't have to enter billing information up front and then have it auto bill you. It's not like that. Uh, and it's very easy to set up too. All you have to do is go to meetedgar.com slash SPI. Once again, that's meetedgar.com slash SPI. Fill out your info there and you'll be all set. Thanks, I appreciate you. And I look forward to serving you next week when I invite an author of a book that I recently read that has to do with building habit forming products. So imagine you building a product that just internally the user has to keep using it. What would that mean for a membership site or a piece of software or another product that you're creating? It's a lot of value in that episode. I look forward to uh, sharing it with you next week. So if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show. And uh, again, make sure to check out meetedgar.com slash SPI. I appreciate you. Till next week, keep rocking it. Love you guys. Take care. 
Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.